You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good morning, family. How are you guys doing this morning? That's good to hear. You can hear me like a little too well. I can hear myself breathing. It's not a good thing. Okay. Is that a little better? Now it's like right in the middle of my chest. I don't know how to feel about this. All right. Well, if you joined us last week for Easter, we began a series called Jesus 2016. You know, the whole world right now is watching little old us and following closely the election race and the candidacy and looking to see, man, who is going to be the next president of the United States, the leader of the free world. And there's a great focus on kind of everything that's going on right now, both good and bad. And so at this time, with this theme that we're doing, but also a theme for the year, we're really seeking to refocus and get back to, okay, no matter who gets elected president, the real president, the real Lord is still Jesus. And going back to and remembering, man, that whatever happens is only happening because of Jesus. We need to make sure that our convictions, that our resolve as to who Jesus is and what He stands for remains the same and continues to grow and to deepen. And so the lesson this morning as we continue this series is entitled, Why He Gets My Vote. You know, one of the biggest part of the campaigning process we've already been experiencing is the candidates each communicating what they stand for, their platform, if you will. Right? They call our homes and leave automated messages and tell us what they're all about. They rally around the countryside, you know, traveling to different cities and holding these big rallies where people are, you know, getting in fights and sometimes being peaceful and sometimes getting punched in the face and all these things. You know, they're going on national TV and they're debating, but, but their whole thing is, man, you need to know who I am and what I'm about because you need to vote for me. And they're like, man, I I have got to figure out how to communicate this effectively to everyone. In fact, over-communicate so that they vote. That they desperately want your vote. That they want you to choose them based on, man, I I feel like this guy is going to do well leading our country or this woman. And so it comes to a similar place with Jesus. In the sense that, man, we are Jesus' country. We are Jesus' people. That we need to know, man, where does Jesus stand? What does Jesus stand for? What does He believe in? So that we can make sure that we're casting our vote in the right place. In choosing Jesus. And so my first point today is we really look at a few aspects of, man, why He gets my vote. Point number one, His love. You know, as you're looking at the candidates and and what they're all about, a big part of this is, man, do, do you care about this country? If we had a candidate who got elected who's like, well, you know what, I couldn't care about this country from the next, we have a problem. Right? There's no skin in the game. They have no future. There's no plan. They don't really care. Right, that, that we've got to know, man, that you care about us. You care about our country. You care about our future. 
And with Jesus, man, we ha- we've got to have some questions lined up. Jesus, do you care about me? Do you have a future planned out for me? Are you willing to be close to me? What are you willing to do to do these things? Is your love for me powerful? And in Romans chapter 5, oh, that is not, oh, never mind. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. That means you're actually going to have to turn there. It's not going to be on the screen. I might have done that on purpose so that you would turn there. I just can't remember if I did or not. In Romans chapter 5, you know, as we're looking at Jesus and his love. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6, the Bible reads, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, as we look at Jesus' love, okay, Jesus, how does your love quantify? When you read this passage, it becomes evident of kind of where even God understands we were at at that time. Right? That Jesus loved us, the Bible says, and was willing to die for us when we were at our absolute worst, ungodly, when we had absolutely nothing to offer, and when we didn't even want to follow Jesus. That not only was He willing to, to love us, but that He already loved us, already desired to have a relationship with us. I don't know about you guys, but those three criteria, if they were on anyone else, absolute worst, nothing to offer, doesn't want to know me. It's hard to be best friends with a person like that. right? It's hard to go, man, that is the guy that I want to be friends with or have a relationship with. But Jesus doesn't see any of that. Right? Jesus doesn't care. His love is regardless of your circumstance, your history, convenience, time, distance, ethnicity. It doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, look, whether you were at your best, your worst, wherever it came from, I want to have a relationship with you. I love you. And I want to be close to you. And when you think about, okay, how does that stand up against his competitor? And you might be feeling like, Chaz, is Jesus, there's a competitor? Yeah, there's a, there's a competitor. Jesus has a competition in this election. And that competition in where our vote is going to go, the most direct competition is just very simply the world. That we're going to either cast our vote to Jesus or the world, one way or the other. Even by default, you go, well, Chaz, I'm not going to make a decision. Not making a decision, you've made your decision. And the question then becomes, okay, if that's what Jesus was willing to do, man, what has the world sacrificed for you? I'm so grateful for Mark's communion and going through what it cost Jesus. But we've got to ask, man, what was the last thing that the world sacrificed to be close to me? 
What was the last thing that sports sacrificed to be close to me? Or my job? What was the last thing that sacrificed to have a relationship with me? Is there even a competition? When did, they ev- when did any of those things ever give up anything for our good? Or to be close to us? Jesus loves sacrificially. And it wasn't even that he was willing, just like willing to die. Right? I know as a man, watching action movies, that there's always a scene in the action where it's like, no, you guys go on. I'll stay put and hold the line. You know, and it's like, oh, you know that guy's about to die. Like, he, he, and he knows it, right? That guy is staying to hold, whether it's in the movie 300 or any action movie, right? They put, I'll hold him off. You know, and you're like, okay, we're never going to see him again. Or they, you know, they foreshadow it so heavily that it's like, I'll hold him off. And it's like, we're going to see him in five minutes. Like, right? But as a man, everyone kind of wants to feel it. Man, I'd be willing to die for this cause. Or I'd be, I would be willing to just go and lose my life and make it happen. I remember when I was in the campus ministry in Long Beach, there was a brother who, at a Bible discussion, we do these like short 15-minute Bible discussions on campus. And at a Bible discussion, he asked the, the, the icebreaker question, so how do you want to die? I don't know if I want to be here anymore, bro. Like, how do I? And, and so, and, and really, I think it was just because he had a really good answer. That, I mean, he didn't really even care about what anyone else. People are like, uh, in my sleep, peacefully? Like, I mean, what are you going to say to that? Like, he goes, bro, let me tell you what I want. He goes, I want to be in the Middle East. Like, we just studied the Bible with someone, and his whole family is coming, like, with machine guns. Or like the Taliban heard about it and they're coming to, and we're running and we're like going and then he gets shot and he, you know, he falls down and I pick him up and, and then I get shot and, we're, and I'm dragging him to the baptismal and, and just as I get him down and I pull him up, then we explode and like we both go to heaven. He's like, but I made it. And I'm, just, I'm sitting there, I'm like, that is the inspiring and gruesome. I don't, I don't know how to feel right now as you're telling me this. Part of me wants to go share my faith and part of me wants to go home. <laughs> but he's, you know, we always want to feel like, man, I would die for this cause or I would die for this person. And for some of us, you know, in your relationships, maybe you said that. I remember even uh, before I became a Christian, that my serious girlfriends, I mean, I would die for you. Like, it's like a romantic thing. Like, oh, I would die for you. And it's like, no, you wouldn't. Like, that would, not ha- that would never happen. But I think we can feel that. Right? We can feel like that's the ultimate measure of love. Okay, man, I-, I would die for this. But when it comes to Jesus, He wasn't just willing to die like we can claim to be sometimes. Right? He, he didn't just say that and it sounds good. You know, when brothers tell me that, I go, okay, bro, I mean, that sounds good. Jesus actually cashed that check. Nobody else can say that. Nobody, the world can't say that. Sports can't say that. A girlfriend can't say that. Boyfriend, husband, if they're still here, they can never say that they did what Jesus did. They can never say by that point alone that they love as strongly as Jesus loves. 
Because when the bill came, Jesus stood up and took it. And we've never had to do that. We like to talk about it sometimes, but we've never had to do what Jesus proved that he was willing to do. The Bible tells us today that even whether or not you decide to follow God, whether or not you, you go from today, you go, man, I, I want to study the Bible, I want to learn more about you. Or if you go, man, I, I don't know about him, I'm out. And I'm never coming back to this church. Whether or not you feel like that today, which you might, Jesus has still cashed the check. Jesus has still already died and wants to have a relationship with you. That doesn't change based on circumstance or desire. That has happened. Jesus' love is powerful. What could be more powerful than that? And in John chapter 15, in verse 9, the Bible reads, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You know, not only is Jesus' love so powerful and so proven, but His love actually sets the tone for how God expects us to love. That Jesus, the way Jesus loves us, the way he loved the lost, the way he went out for it, is the precedent and is the example that God says, okay, that's, that's actually how you do it. Have you ever been doing something and you thought, man, I'm getting really good at this, and then you find out your form or your technique was wrong the whole time? My sister played tennis in high school, and I played water polo. And water polo is not like a sport of subtlety. Kind of like football. It's not, you know, it's a sport of like blunt force trauma. And so I would go to the tennis, you know, court with my sister, and she would, she was actually really good. And so she would, you know, volley it to me like very gently, and I would hit it, and it would just go flying out of it. And I'm like, how do you do this? And she's like, don't hit it so hard. I'm like, I don't know how. I'm just like, I only swing at 100%. Like, is there a lower way, you know? And, and so eventually, like I started to, to kind of, I was holding it with two hands like a baseball bat, but with one hand I would swing and with one hand I would kind of pull back. And so it kind of like, you know, it turned into something where I could keep it sort of in the, the other side of the court. And so I got kind of good at doing that. And then like two weeks in, my dad, who's been playing tennis, actually knows how to play tennis a little bit. He comes over to me. He's like, why do you hit like that? I'm like, Dad, I got it. And he's like, that is like literally the absolutely worst way to play tennis I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> I thought I was getting it. Like after like a hundred balls outside of the court, like it's discouraging, right? But I think for so many of us, we, we understand or we look at, man, okay, this is how I love somebody or this is how I love something. This is how I receive love. God goes, that's... But maybe that's ballpark. Maybe that's what it looks like. But God goes, but just, I have an example right here of what it's actually supposed to look like. And that's Jesus. That the standard is you've got to love sacrificially. You've got to love 
selflessly. You've got to put others before yourself. Consider their needs before you consider your own. That that, that, that is, if your goal is to love somebody, that this is what it looks like. And that's inspiring. To know that, okay, there, there is a right way to do it. To know that not only does Jesus' love, not only do we receive that, but then His love is so powerful that it inspires us and it commands us, okay, not only do you take this now, but you've got to turn around and you've got to do the same thing to other people. And that that's what it's become. That's powerful. That is a powerful technique. That is a powerful command. And that's an even more powerful love. And it becomes, okay, well, Chaz, how do I, how do, I do this? I mean, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about His love compels us. That we live for Him. That it's not about living for ourselves anymore. This is about, okay, if you actually love me, then you'll obey my commands. And that there's a plan for that and a vision for that. And so my second point today is not only His love, but His vision. In Luke 19, verse 10, if you'll turn there with me, it's a very short passage. But the Bible reads, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And when you read the Gospels, when you read any of the four Gospels throughout it, Jesus enumerates to His disciples. He tells His disciples, guys, look, this is why I came. To seek and to save the lost. To preach the Word. And in John 12, He he even references, like, I did not come to judge the world. He doesn't discount that there is a judge, but He goes, that wasn't my role. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. That this was Jesus' purpose. Jesus came, okay, I came here to reconnect people to God. That there would be a reconciling of a lost world back to God. That that was the mission. That was the plan from the beginning. And that His vision for us in Matthew 28, verse 18, the vision for us, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, I think I cut off, to the very end of the age. You know, Jesus' vision is that we would get a chance to carry on what He started. As you read the Gospels, you go, man, that must have been an an amazing time. He's going town to town, preaching the Word, sharing His faith, performing miracles, watching people's lives be completely transformed. That Jesus' vision was, okay, it doesn't end right there. That you you don't read the Gospels and it gets to the end and you go, wow, that time is over. No, you just replace the characters and now that's us. That that's what we get to do now. That we get to be a part of God's story. That we get to carry on the work that God gave to Him. That's a tall order. Jesus says, okay, you're going to be doing what I'm doing. 
to carry on reconnecting people to God. His vision was of a world that would be preached to and saved out of the overflow of our relationship with Him. That His love would motivate us. And we always talk about that, that sharing your faith should not be a robotic thing. It should just overflow. That you should, we should be at a spot in our relationship with God that, that His desire is that we get to that spot. If you feel like, Chaz, I'm not there yet. Well, okay, but you're, there's a growing into that. There's a maturing into that to a point where you're so grateful. You're so just overwhelmingly in love with God that you can't even help telling people about it. I went and saw Batman versus Superman uh, when we were in Flagstaff, and I really liked it. I don't know about you guys. The reviews that are going on about it are iffy. But I really liked it. And it, it's not difficult for me to go around and talk about it. You know, and just because I enjoyed it so much to tell people that Batman was awesome. I was about to say something and I realized probably a lot of you haven't seen it. Or maybe. I, I, but, you know, it's not hard for me to talk about the things that we enjoy, that we love, that we're passionate about. It's not difficult when you think about it to talk about those things with your friends. But it can be a little difficult for us sometimes to talk about Jesus with our friends. And I don't think that says anything about Him so much as it says something about our level of passion. Are we as passionate about Jesus as we are about sports or about whatever your hobby is, cars, crafts, whatever? Right? Do we have that vision? Do we realize that Jesus' vision was so much bigger than us? That the whole time that Jesus was preaching, his mind was completely on the big picture. What's going to come now, hundreds of years, thousands of years later? Are people still going to be sharing their faith? Is the lost world still going to be reached out to? Are we still going to reconnect? That this was the dream and this was the vision. You know, God put in every single one of us a desire to do great things. When you think about it, nobody ever wanted to do something terribly. Like, that was never a dream. Of, no kid grows up and says, I want to be a horrible astronaut. Not a great one, like in the Martian. I want to be you know, the one that didn't make it off the ground. They wouldn't let him in the rocket. He was so dysfunctional. I want to be that one. Nobody says that. We want, God has put in us a desire for greatness. Right? We see it in the working world. We see it in the sports world. They, that there is a desire, I want to be the champion. That that's a desire that's, that's in us that God put there. And the desire originally was, man, I want to go and do great things and point at God and go, man, this was awesome because God did it. The only reason I'm this fast or the only reason I'm this smart, the only reason I'm this good is because of God. You guys should know Him. He's awesome. Look at what He did through me. But somewhere along the line, the world kind of takes that package, right? The other candidate takes that package and kind of tweaks it a little bit and goes, okay, you can be great. You can do amazing things. Just go and, you know, your amazing thing will be making a lot of money. Or your amazing thing will go, man, you, you have such high-profile friends. You're like almost famous or you are famous. Like that, you know, go do that and, and you can be great. 
Go have this great relationship. And when you get it, don't let go of it for anything. Especially God. Just grab onto that relationship. This thing is your greatness now. And we get to a mode sometimes where we go, when God comes and says, hey, whoa, what's going on here? We go, God, hold up. You're getting in the way of my plan for my greatness. God, you're, you're, you're cramping my style when it comes to making me really, really great. You're making me look, I, I don't know what, but not great. Not how I planned. You know, part of God's vision was that we would take back what it means to make a difference. What it means to have impact. When you think about, man, the, the money, the buildings, the foundations, the monuments, the things that last through time, what could possibly have a greater impact than changing someone's eternal destiny? What could have a greater impact than helping someone go from a place where they have no desire to know God to now... 30 years, they're going to be spending heaven and eternity with Him. What greater legacy, what greater purpose and impact could we possibly have than even that? If you helped one person make it to heaven, is there anything else on this earth that you could do that would outweigh it? That's impact. When you talk about making a difference, that's it. And not that's it, like, well, that's it. Like, that's it, like, that is it. That is what we've been looking for. That is what maybe you've been yearning in your heart for all this time, desiring to make an impact. When was the last time, this is, when was the last time that by yourself, with Jesus, you felt like you were a movement? If ever. Right? Jesus says in this verse right here, and I am with you to the very end of the age. Do we remember that by ourselves, one person with Jesus is a movement? That one person with Jesus can change the world, is a force to be reckoned with. That Jesus said in John 14, 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Okay. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus says, okay, all the stuff I did that was so cool, all the stuff that I did that you thought miracles, curing cancer, healing the sick, healing leprosy, feeding 5,000, walking... He said all of those things were great, but with me, if you stick with me you'll be able to do even greater, better, more powerful things than any of those. That that was the vision. Jesus' plan was greatness from the beginning. And I have a picture I want to share with you guys. As we look at Matthew 10, 18-20, it says, On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them. This is the General Assembly of the United Nations. Right, Paul, in his lifetime in the book of Acts, got to preach before a few kings and rulers. And how powerful would it be to be able to preach at that? 
And that kind of seems daunting. I mean, these are the leaders of almost every country, right? Every first, second, third world country represented in the United Nations. Is there a sense that we kind of chomp at the bit for something like that? That we go, God, you're great. You could do that. If, I, if one of us, just one of us went up and preached in there, God, you would do something and blow us away. Because one person with you is a movement. Do we still believe that? Do we still believe in Jesus' vision? The vision that He has for us. And finally, my last point today, why Jesus gets our vote, His conviction. In Luke chapter 13, verse 31, at this time Jesus was preaching and the Pharisees were getting a little crazy. They're starting to feel like, man, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to start plotting against him. And so in Luke 13, in verse 31, the Bible reads, At that time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to Him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. If you know, if you recognize this picture, this is the tank man from Tiananmen Square who stood in front of a row of tanks and would not budge. You know, in the video itself, the tanks try to drive around him while he's holding his groceries and he just, he just walks over and stands in front of wherever they drive. And he refuses to let them pass. No matter what. They, I mean, it's a tank. Like, they could have just driven him over. But he says, I will not budge. I will not be moved. And so the Pharisees come and they tell this to Jesus. Jesus, they're they're trying to kill you. Surely there's somewhere else that you can preach where the heat is a little lower and people can still become disciples, you know, but just don't stay here or go somewhere else. And I love his response in verse 32. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving demons out and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. Jesus is completely undeterred. Are you trying to kill me? Okay, why don't you go tell him that I'm going to be over here at this time, and if he wants to come see me, he can see me. I'll be the guy who's healing people and driving out demons. And in fact, I'll probably be there for another three days. So if he can mosey his way over there, maybe you'll see me. Totally undeterred. A man of conviction. Jesus was willing to give up everything. And so he was... And so he wouldn't back down for anything. You know, even at the cross. Even at Pilate. If you guys will turn with me to John chapter 19, verse 10. Even then, as he stands before Pilate, I think I have that one. Nope. Even as he stands before Pilate in Luke, I'm sorry, John, Pilate says, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or crucify you? Right? Pilate says, Don't you understand that I could set you free right now? Or I could kill you. I mean, you you should be like sweet-talking me at least a little bit. I mean, I could just like open the back door and let you out. Just tell me something. Jesus replies, 
You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. He goes, don't you understand I have power over you? Jesus goes, no, 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 you you got this all wrong. You're not the one doing this. I'm doing this. You would have no power here if I wasn't giving it to you. Raw conviction. Do we have that level of conviction? Jesus couldn't be intimidated. He couldn't be bought or bullied or threatened. They tested him, tried to trick him, tried to follow him, catch him slipping. But at every single turn, Jesus' life and words proved what he was about. It wasn't a switch that he had to turn on. That was how he was all the time. You know, when we went to Flagstaff with the UCLA campus ministry uh, a couple weeks ago, we went to their midweek service, right? And the, I think I talked about this last week. Their whole church in Flagstaff is about 15 people. And the brother who leads the church, uh, he and his wife are an amazing couple, uh, Ken and Debbie Burford from Phoenix. And Ken is about 68 years old. I mean, quiet, humble, loving. I mean, just the, the coolest guy. But he's, he's 68. You know, he's not like running around dunking the basketball or anything. And so at one point, uh, you know, we're, we're at the midweek service and Jiwoo led a few songs and everything. And uh, Ken gets up there, pulls out his Bible and says, okay, guys, turn with me to, you know, what the passage was. And he starts preaching. And I'm sitting there going, this guy is not 68. Like, there's no way. It was like, as soon as he started speaking the Word of God, I mean, he was completely transformed. Like, age, nothing made a difference. I was sitting there, and I'm like, I'm not sitting in front of a 68-year-old man. I'm sitting in front of a man with conviction. It knows no age. It knows no ethnicity. It knows no boundaries. People don't care how old you are, how young you are, how credible you are. Do you have conviction people will follow that knowledge all that st- you can earn all that stuff but do you have conviction you know Jesus talks about you know when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth like will we prove ourselves to have conviction Does Satan, does all it take from him is a little bit of sweet talking to get us to sin? Or do we have ramrod steel spines when it comes to our righteousness? When it comes to our holiness? When it comes to our purity? When it comes to what we are not willing to compromise on? Do we have convictions like Jesus had? That's a part of his vision. That's a part of his DNA. Who he was. Jesus was a man of conviction. And we have, He calls us to be the same. And so as we think about this year, as we think about reflecting again, man, where am I going to cast my vote? What am I doing? 
Am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to follow the world? Am I so wrapped up in my own life that you go, you know what, that's just not important to me right now. Maybe I'll study the Bible later. Maybe I'll just get to that when I have time. I want to put before you Jesus. I want to put before you a man of love, a man of vision, and a man of conviction unparalleled. You go, why do I need to vote for him? When I look at Jesus, I go, why wouldn't you vote for him? Why wouldn't he be the one that you cast your vote on? Why wouldn't he be the one that you cast your life on? Let's make sure that as we come through this year, that we're giving Jesus the due diligence. Let's make sure that we're letting ourselves be inspired by who he is every day. That there's a growing maturity, that there's a growing inspiration There's a growing sense of, I want to be more like Him every single day. And let's follow Jesus through 2016 and beyond. Amen? Amen. And I have just a few practicals, follow-throughs, next steps. Number one, that we would pray this week that God would show you what it would take to cast your vote for Jesus. And number two that you would talk to the person who's helping you spiritually about getting in a Bible study so you can know more about who Jesus is. We don't want you to make an emotional decision. We don't want you to make a blind decision. We want you to make a decision that you can put your money on for life. That Jesus is where it's at. So let's follow through with these things. Let's make sure that we go after who Jesus really is. Amen? Amen. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.